Pastor Ed Ray addressing the seriousness of adultery. Adultery is a deadly sin. It destroys marriages. It is a betrayal, a betrayal of a promise. It's a betrayal of a family. It's a betrayal of a church. It's a betrayal of friends, those who know you, who are watching you, who thought you were a Christian. And the ripples from that rock thrown in that pool go and touch many, many lives. Zion, now filled with hands, and in this place gotta dwell with man. Sick be healed and the crippled stand singing hallelujah. My kingdom built with the blood of my son, selfless sacrifice for everyone. Faith, hope, love, and harmony. I say let this world know me by your love. Those of you who have ever been on a jury may have encountered a defendant who was caught red-handed and guilty, beyond a reasonable doubt. Now, really, when you stop and think of it, that's all of us, isn't it? You see, we're all sinners, and there's no denying we're guilty. But what does the Lord, our judge, do with us? Well, here on Grow in Grace, we'll see what Jesus says to guilty sinners and the grace and forgiveness he's willing to offer. I think you'll be greatly encouraged this is a part of Pastor Ed Ray's study of John, and here he is now to begin chapter 8. We are in the Gospel of John. I'm going to read to you from John chapter 8 as we work our way through the Bible verse by verse. But Jesus went to the Mount of Olives. Now early in the morning he came again to the temple, and all the people came to him, and he sat down and taught them. Then the scribes and Pharisees brought to him a woman caught in adultery. And when they had set her in the midst, they said to him, Teacher, this woman was caught in adultery in the very act. Now Moses in the law commanded us that such should be stoned. But what do you say? This they said, testing him that they might have something of which to accuse him. But Jesus stooped down and wrote on the ground with his finger as though he did not hear. So when they continued asking him, he raised himself up and said to them, he who is without sin among you, let him throw a stone at her first. And again he stooped down and wrote on the ground, then those who heard it, being convicted by their conscience, went out one by one, beginning with the oldest, even to the last. And Jesus was left alone, and the woman standing in the midst. Then Jesus, when Jesus had raised himself up and saw no one but the woman, he said to her, Woman, where are those accusers of yours? Has no one condemned you? She said, no one, Lord. And Jesus said to her, neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. Then Jesus spoke to them again, saying, I am the light of the world. He who follows me shall not walk in darkness, but have the light of life. 
Let's stop there and pray. We thank you, Lord, that you have come to give us light and understanding. We pray that you would send your spirit to teach us here in this place this morning that we might grow in the knowledge and the wonder of you. Do that, we ask in Jesus' name. And all of God's children agreed by saying, Amen. So we are studying this morning perhaps the most well-known historic meeting between Jesus and any other person in the Bible. And yet we do not even know her name. But we know that she was led trembling and fearful into a face-to-face encounter with God the Son. As far as she knows, she's about to die a painful and humiliating death by stoning in the temple, on the Temple Mount. What she didn't realize that her inner path, it was leading her to the judge of all the earth, who was also the savior of the world. When she met him, everything changed. She would never be the same. Eternity had touched her life. What did she see when she met Jesus? I think she saw at least two things. First of all, she saw in his eyes compassion. Compassion is an interesting word. Com means with or to enter passion, of course, feelings. Enter the feelings of the other person. She sensed that Jesus knew what she was right in the middle of. And he felt the pain that she felt. Over and over again, as we've gone through the Gospels, Jesus, it says, looked on a crowd and he had compassion for them because they looked like sheep without a shepherd. He felt the same thing that they were feeling. And she sensed that from him this morning. Secondly, She sensed forgiveness. I'm not sure how she felt that, but certainly that's the lesson of this whole story. God's forgiveness and forgiving other people, because she had a lot of people she was gonna have to forgive. It's a problem for all of us, forgiving, letting go. I talk to people all the time that tell me, well, I I can't forgive them. They don't deserve it. I don't think anybody I've ever forgiven deserved it. I was always right. They were always wrong, right? But we are commanded to forgive. Four parts of this section. Jesus' forgiveness is unconditional, without conditions except that we come to him to return. Verse 6 through 9, Jesus' forgiveness is complete. Even more than that, 9 through 11, is forever. It lasts for eternity. And then finally, verse 12, it is life changed. The impact on our life will last, continue for a long time. So I've been reading this week, the last two or three weeks, about forgiveness. And I came across a very interesting story about lack of forgiveness. You know, it's baseball season. You guys that are into girls that are into baseball, right now, heat of it right now. Well, way back in 1912, the World Series had a participant in it 
He had an interesting name, Fred Snodgrass. Can you imagine trying to make it through junior high with that name? Snodgrass. But he was a very gifted professional baseball player who played for the New York Giants. And they got into the World Series in 1912. And he had the opportunity the whole game in the last inning, there was a pop fly just right out in the infield, came right to him, stuck his glove out. And because it was so easy, he didn't grab it quick enough. He hit his glove, bounced out, and hit on the ground. The guy was safe on the base. He would be the winning run so that the Giants lost the World Series because of that little pop fly that bounced out of his glove. Hmm. Well, 110 years have passed since then. And when he died, Fred Snodgrass, this is what the New York Times put on their headlines. Fred Snodgrass, 86, dead. Ball player who muffed fly ball in the 1912 World Series is gone. 110 years and they still haven't forgiven him. Let it go. It was a fly ball. <laughs> You know, But that struck me as a perfect example of how the world treats people who make a mistake in the public sector. He hasn't been forgiven. In spite of him becoming the mayor of Oxnard, California, moved out to California, a very successful businessman, owned a bank, had children, grandchildren, great-grandchildren, had a great impact on the community. It didn't matter. He dropped a fly ball, for heaven's sakes. <laughs> Forgiveness. Oh, that's a problem. So we're looking at this section about Jesus forgiving and what the young lady in the story is going to have to deal with. Let's jump in, see what God might teach us about the subject. Verse 53 from the last chapter, it says, And everyone went to his own house. If you've been with us going through the Gospel of John, Jesus had come to Jerusalem from Nazareth and, or Capernaum, and he was there for a feast. For, at that time, probably the most important Jewish feast, the Feast of Tabernacles. And so, or Sukkoth, and, and he's there, and he speaks, and then last day of the feast, he goes up on the Temple Mount, and he says to everyone, if any of you are thirsty, come drink of me, and out of your innermost being will come rivers of living water, meaning the Holy Spirit. And we spent some time looking at that last time. So after that, everyone else went to their own house and thought about it. But Jesus, verse 1 says, went to the Mount of Olives. So the Mount of Olives is just a little mound through a small valley, the Kidron Valley, right next to the city of Jerusalem. It is east of it. At the top of it is the little village of Bethany where Mary, Martha, and Lazarus lived. But Jesus went to this garden. Gethsemane is there. That means the olive press, the olive press, because of all these olive trees. And so he evidently spent the night there, no doubt, praying. Verse 2 says, but early in the morning, the Greek word means before dawn, he gets up and he walks about, oh, it's maybe a block and a half. It's not very far. And he came into the temple because when you go through the eastern gate, it's the only gate on the wall of Jerusalem that lets you go directly into the temple. So he walks right into the temple. Now the temple is a university, a large university, actually 30 different professors, 
rabbis were teaching theology there. They had little groups and they were meeting in the patio area called the Portico of Solomon. And Jesus walks in and as soon as he walks in, all the people came to him. <laughs> well, why not? If God showed up here to teach, I think that this place would be a lot more crowded. <laughs> There'd be a lot of people here coming to hear Jesus. And he sat down and he taught them. First thing in the morning, they come to hear Jesus. That's what we all ought to be doing at home. First thing in the morning, get up and spend a little time with the creator of the universe. Get your day started right. Spending time with the Lord, a great way to start the day. This is Grow in Grace. Pastor Ed Ray is in John 8 today, and here he is with the second half of today's message. We'll be picking up in verse 3. So he's starting to teach. Then, verse 3, the scribes and the Pharisees. Now, the Pharisees were this rather small group of Jewish rabbis who were the most fastidious. They would tie the number of grains of salt that they had. And they were trying to keep very rigid the law, 613 commandments. And the scribes were those who copied, you know, this is 1,500 years before printing. And so you'd roll out an empty parchment and you begin to write out, or a vellum, and you begin to write out, in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. And they would copy the Bible. That's all they did all day long. So they became very good, very knowledgeable about the Bible. So it's these two groups of people that brought in to Jesus a woman caught in adultery. The word adultery, we don't use that very often anymore in our society. We have changed it to something like an affair, something not quite so powerful. But the word adultery appears 18 times in the Old Testament and 15 times in the New Testament. It's a very powerful word. Adultery is a deadly sin. It destroys marriages. Only one marriage in three will survive adultery. So more than 65% of marriages with adultery will end in divorce. It is a betrayal, a betrayal of a promise. It's a betrayal of a family. It's a betrayal of a church. It's a betrayal of friends, those who know you, who are watching you, who thought you were a Christian, and the ripples from that rock thrown in that pool go and touch many, many lives. This is a deadly sin. This young woman is facing death. It is a capital offense according to the law. And they try and trap Jesus. Verse 4 says, they said to him, teacher, this woman was caught in adultery, the very act. And they use a Greek word for caught in the act that literally means to be caught in the act of thief, of thievery. And there's some truth in that. Adultery is thievery, of taking something that belongs to another. So it's this early in the morning, they probably pulled her out of bed or hair a mess. Tears on her face, probably too ashamed to look at any of the people's faces, including Jesus. 
She wanted to run into a corner and hide. The religious leaders are demanding Jesus' attention. This woman had been set up in entrapment. There had to be two witnesses to any crime that was brought. And so two of these supposed godly rabbis had observed things. What, they, they hide behind a curtain in the bedroom? And where's the guy? Because that's what the law says. Leviticus 20 says, if a man commits adultery, both the man and the woman will be brought. And in fact, it puts the blame on the man. Why so? Because a man is supposed to be the head of a household spiritually. And so, gentlemen, you and I are responsible in any adultery that would happen. Jesus is not concerned so much with the law that is broken as he is with the woman involved. Verse 5, now Moses in the law commanded us that such should be stoned. Well, what do you say? This is really ironic that they're asking Jesus' opinion about the law that he actually wrote with a finger in stone and gave to Moses. What do you say? I already said it. <laughs> and put it in stone. Now they're trying to trap. Because if he said, stone her, and she was killed, then he would be guilty of breaking Roman law. See, the, the Romans had come and taken Israel, and they had removed the ability of Israel to practice capital punishment. And so he would have broken Roman law. But if he said, don't stone her, then he's saying that the law of Moses, the law of God, wasn't important. They had him. Never a good idea to play checkers with God. So... The problem is that they had forgotten we're all sinners. What? Everyone is a sinner. Psalm 53, verse 2. God looks down from heaven upon the children of men to see if there is any who will understand who seek God. Every one of them has turned aside. They have all together become corrupt. There is none who does good. No, not one. Well, pastor, you're insulting me. I'm a good person, liar. Psalm 130, verse 3. If you, Lord, should mark iniquities, write them down, sins. Oh, Lord, who could sin? But there is forgiveness with you. Ecclesiastes 7:20. For there's not a just man on earth who does good and does not sin. Wow. Isaiah 53, verse 6. We all like sheep have gone astray. We have turned every one to their own way. Romans 3, 23. For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. All have sinned. Well, Pastor, there, there may be some sinners, but, but I'm a saint. Please. What I'm saying is that every person in this room is guilty of sin. Every person outside of this room is guilty of sin. And that includes the guy that's talking. Now, a man came up to me last night. I've been going to church all my life. I've never heard a pastor say that he sinned. That's what you said, right? Yeah, that's what I said. I'm not excusing it. It's not what God wants. But I'm a sinner just like you're a sinner. And every one of us are guilty of sin. But the good news is God has forgiveness. 
there are sinners who are forgiven and there are sinners who are not. That's the only two categories on earth, okay? Either you've discovered the grace of God, the mercy of God, and you've asked him to forgive your sins and you're clean, or you're arrogantly refusing to surrender to him, which, by the way, I did for the first 26 years of my life. So what do we do with sin? First John, the first letter of John, not the gospel that we're looking at, his first letter, verse 9, if we confess our sins, confess, what's that mean? Con, to initiate, fess is to speak something, to say the same thing God says. If I say, Lord, I sinned when I did that, he says, yes, you did, Ed. You have confessed. If we're faithful to confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. That sounds too easy. Well, it wasn't easy for him. He had to die on a cross for me. Romans 8.1. There is therefore now no condemnation, no death penalty to those who are in Christ Jesus, to those who have said, Jesus, forgive my sins. Condemnation means a damnatory sentence to death. There isn't any of that for anyone who confesses their sin. We're all sinners, check. We've all failed, yes, check. Jesus has died on a cross for sinners, check. What are you gonna do about it? Your own sin. That's all that's going on here. But eternity hangs in the balance. Verse 6, they had said this, that what do you say? That they might have something of which to accuse him, Jesus. But Jesus stooped down and wrote on the ground with his fingers as though he did not hear. Now, to write in the Greek language is the word graphen. To write against something is katagraphen. This is katagraphen. You write down a record against someone. We don't know what Jesus wrote. It, it doesn't say. But since I have the microphone, let me guess. I think he wrote down the charges against the Pharisees and the scribes that were bringing accusations. You see, they're just like us. They were all guilty of sin too. And so I think he started because we'll see in the next couple of verses, with the oldest rabbi there, let's say his name was Simeon, and he wrote in the dust of the stones on the Temple Mount, Simeon, April 7th, with Marguerite. And Simeon looks over his shoulder and goes, I just remembered, I had a dentist appointment. And he left. That's what's gonna happen here. That's what I think is going on here. He's writing against. Thanks for listening to Grow in Grace as we continue our journey through the New Testament. Today's message from Pastor Ed Ray is a part of our study in John's Gospel, and you can hear it again at thepackinghouse.org. You'll find all of our recently aired programs right there at thepackinghouse.org, as well as an archive of Pastor Ed's messages. We're also on YouTube, and that's a great way to live stream our services or watch recently delivered messages. 
Search for Packing House Christian Fellowship. And if you prefer to have a CD copy of today's message, just call toll-free 844-77-GRACE. Again, we're here to serve you at 844-77-GRACE. As we continue to get the word out on stations like this all across the nation, we're looking to our listeners for help. Even a small donation can have a large impact by God's grace. And whatever comes in goes straight to the ministry. When you support Grow in Grace with a gift of any amount today, be sure to request our featured resource. It's a book called Why Revival Tarries by Leonard Ravenhill. This is a no-compromise call to biblical revival and spiritual excellence that we all need to hear. You'll see the great disparity between today's church and the Church of Acts. Again, we're making it available for a gift of any amount. Just give us a call at 844-77-GRACE. That's 844-77-GRACE. Would you like to put a smile on our face? Just shoot us an email and let us know you're listening. It's so helpful to hear if a particular series is benefiting your walk with the Lord. It's encouraging, too. Our email address is packinghouseradio at aol.com. That's packinghouseradio at aol.com. This program is listener-supported and brought to you by the Packinghouse Christian Fellowship in Redlands, California. Zion, now filled with hands and in this place gotta dwell with man. Sick be healed and the crippled stand singing hallelujah. My kingdom built with the blood of my son. Selfless sacrifice for everyone. Faith, hope, love, and harmony. I said let this world know me.